We're glad you're here. Welcome to worship today. My name's Ethan. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. And uh, I really believe we got some, we got a good word uh, today. We're talking about the good life. And everybody's got a different idea of what it is and a different strategy for how to get it. Uh, But what we're dialing into is this kind of radical truth that Jesus teaches that if you want to find the good life, you will need a guide. That's just kind of the the core truth of this series, is that if you want to find a good life, you will need a guide. Uh, This is why Jesus, everywhere he goes, says, follow me. Uh, Come come follow the life that I want to lead you in. Uh, because, because it turns out that our circumstances don't accomplish a good life and our, our strategies don't get us the good life. The only way to get the good life is to follow the guide who is Christ. Uh, and, and the Gospel of Mark starts out just this way. We're looking through the Gospel of Mark, this whole series, and you look at the first few chapters everywhere Jesus goes. He says, you come follow me. You come follow me. You come follow me. And pretty soon they do. First, a few individuals, and then there's a a small little gang of them, and then there's a great big crowd of people following Jesus. Uh, He starts to teach. He calls some disciples and names a few, and he says, you're going to be my special followers. And right when it feels like everything is going great, like we've got the guide, and he's leading the people to the good life, the most curious thing happens. Right when everything seems great. There's a storm. Mark tells us about the storm in Mark chapter 4. He's been teaching. He's called the disciples. Everything is going well. And then Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We'll spend a lot of time here, so you might want to grab a Bible or find it on your phone. That'd be great. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, there's a lot going on in this text, and we're going to learn a lot from it. Uh, But the first thing to learn is this just kind of foundational truth that it turns out that the storms keep coming, even for those who are following the guide. And it's not just this once. Uh, Paul, traveling on the way to Rome, hits a storm and is shipwrecked in Malta. And it's not just actual storms. It's it's other kinds of things. Uh, There's a famine that sweeps across uh, Egypt and southern Judea and hits the church in Jerusalem so that they would have starved to death if not for the church in Antioch sending sending them money and food so that the church in Jerusalem could survive. Jesus even predicted it. 
In the text we looked at last week, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. Surely you will lead us to the good life. And Jesus responds, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He says, yeah, I'm going to lead you to the good life. But along the way, the persecutions will come. The storms will come. It turns out everywhere you look in Scripture, you see this truth repeated that even when we are following the guide, the good life isn't storm-free. And certainly as we look around our world, we're feeling that right now, aren't we? We've got tornadoes in Nashville, and a lot of us have friends down there that were affected by that. We're going to talk in a minute about how we can make a really big difference in that as a church together. We've got the the coronavirus sweeping across the world, right? And every time you read the newspaper or look at the news on your phone or something, you see another 70 people infected here, another 100 people infected here, another cruise ship they don't know what to do with. Everywhere you look, more people are getting in. It just gets a little bit scary. Somebody asked me, Ethan, are you panicking? Well, uh, for me, I think yes. I have started washing my hands for the very first time in 30 years. So I think for me, that qualifies as, yeah, like today, I shook a bunch of hands. I actually went and washed my hands before I went to preach the next service. So yeah, that for me is absolute panic level response here. Um, And don't worry, this is where I'm supposed to remind you, yes, wash your hands 20 seconds, sing happy birthday, all the things you're supposed to do. And, you know, if you're sick, stay home, watch the service service online, and yet we're doing all the careful things. So let's tell you all that. But, but, but the main thing is the storm's coming, right? And none of us quite know how bad it's going to be or how scared we ought to be. And the storms aren't always big and global or natural disasters. They're personal. I mentioned last week, just the, the last month in the life of our church, so many people have lost loved ones. Sort of feels like a storm of grief. Maybe it's even more personal than that. Maybe you're experiencing a storm right now that's actually directly tied to your decision to follow Christ. I know a guy not long ago lost his job because he wouldn't falsify his billing reports like everybody else did, padding their hours to make make a little more money, and he wouldn't do it, so he lost his job. I know another who lost some friends because she wouldn't participate in their kind of partying lifestyle and she was going a different direction. And they're like, well, we don't want to hang out with you anymore. I know some college students that are struggling right now because they're speaking up about their faith and trying to be an ambassador for Christ on their campus and yet it's leading them to get mocked and they're not quite sure what to do. So whatever kind of storm you're experiencing right now, whether it's the storm that's common to all of us or some individual storm that's just affecting you right now, we all know this truth already, don't we? We know what the Bible testifies to. We could testify from our own lives that following Jesus is never storm-free. And so if that's true, I want to just take a look at this text. The, the first storm they face following Jesus. And look about some things that are true about this storm 
that are also true about the storms you face. Look back with me at the text. If you got it on your phone or you can grab a paper Bible out of the pews, follow along, Mark 4, 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples had to wake him up. They said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So so the first thing we notice is that storms keep happening. But when they happen, what can we learn from this text? Well, I'd say the main thing, kind of the the first thing we got to learn, is that Jesus is always with you in the storm. Just like he was in this storm, Jesus is always with you in the storm. This is the promise that Jesus makes. He promises, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the promise Jesus makes. We've uh, been prepping for a series after Easter. We're going to talk about fear and how, how God's Spirit can help us to conquer and live in light of our fears. And one of the things we've observed is in the Bible, how many stories you see God or Jesus or an angel announce to people, fear not because God is with you. Like again and again, dozens of times throughout God's word, we hear this. And that's the first thing you've got to learn. Some of you are in a storm right now, and you just need to know Jesus is not observing that storm from a distance, wondering how you'll react. Jesus is with you in the storm. Second thing we learn, maybe this one's a little harder, but it's just as true. Jesus is often slow to end the storm. I don't get this always, but it's true. It just often seems like Jesus is in no rush to bring the storm to an end. And I don't know why. Like, I have been with the disciples who have said, you know, don't you care about the storm? And maybe you've prayed a prayer like that. Like, can't you see that this storm just keeps going? Why won't you end the storm? And I don't have every answer to that question, but there is this one verse in Scripture that talks about why it looks like God is slow to act. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now that's lasting longer than you think it should, and you're like, well, God, why aren't you ending the storm? This might help you a little bit. It's from 2 Peter chapter 3, 
Uh, This is a letter written to a church that is undergoing profound persecution. They are in the middle of a terrible storm. And this is what Peter writes. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you into wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, the commands given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything just goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And people will ask, why do you hope Jesus will ever end the storm? I don't see any end to the storm in sight. Skipping a few verses, Peter goes on. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't always understand it, but what God's word says is that when we think God is being slow to end the storm, that isn't God being slow. That's God being patient. Because the redemptive, redeeming work that God wants to do through that storm isn't done yet. And, I, and this is hard. Like the disciples, we often cry out, don't you care that we are in danger of drowning? And God's word says, I'm not being slow, I'm being patient. So that many more would come to repentance. First thing we learn is that Jesus is with us in the storm. The second thing we learn is that Jesus is often slow to end the storm, as we would count slowness. But the third thing we learn is this. Jesus will eventually bring the storm to an end. He does eventually stand up and command the wind and the waves to be still. Later in his ministry, he tells his disciples, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There it is. He says, you're gonna have storms. If you follow me, you will experience storms, but take heart. For I am victorious over the storms of the world. Remember I was 19 Uh, When my grandmother Gail passed away um, from a a recurrence of cancer, and uh, it it really did a number on my faith. I I had prayed so intently for her, and I was so sure she was going to be healed. I just knew it. I was praying in faith that she would be healed. I knew she would be healed. I had told God how I would give glory to God for her healing, how I would announce the miracle. I'd tell everybody I know that God had saved my grandmother's life. And then she died. And I just couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do. I was just undone by it. I was lamenting with a friend. I was just saying, why do Christians even bother to say that God sometimes heals if we can't know whether God's gonna heal or not? What's the point of even saying God sometimes heals? 
my friend, with a lot of compassion, found an opportunity to speak some clarity to me. I don't remember exactly what he said, but something like this. He said, actually, that's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that God always heals. It's just sometimes in this life, and it's sometimes in the next. But God always repairs what is broken about God's creation. Now I confess, at the time, I didn't want to hear it. And that conversation did not end super well because I was feeling pretty beat down. But as I began to reflect on that and go back to God's word, I found out that my friend was exactly right. That is what scripture teaches, is that God always heals. It just sometimes is in this life and sometimes is in the next. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so essential to our faith, because this is what proves that the grave does not stop the redemptive work of God that eventually Jesus will bring the storm to an end. So I just want to give you a word of hope today. If you are in the middle of a storm right now, then you know that you are not at the end of the story. The middle of the storm is never the end of the story. Like the little kid watching a movie with his dad. He said, Dad, I need to go run you to the bathroom. And he says, oh, just wait. Stay right here. The movie's almost over. And the little kid said, no, it's not. And dad said, well, how can you know? And the kid said, well, because the bad guys are winning. And the movie won't be over until the good guys win. That kid knew two things. One, he knew how movies ought to be made. Okay, clearly, good guys should always win in movies. Otherwise, why go to the movies? But he also knew how the big story ends. If you're in the, the, the path on which the guide leads us, okay, the path will often be stormy. But the place to which the guide leads us will be the place where the storm is over and the wind and waves have ceased. Last thing we gotta know about storms, okay, is that when the storm comes, it is an opportunity for clarity about the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity for the testimony of Jesus Christ to advance. That's what happens in this story, right? They, they see the wind and the waves, and they're like, who is this guy? They just thought he was some rabbi that had good things to say. Now they see he is the son of God who commands nature itself. The storm is an opportunity for the testimony of Christ to advance, and this is still true today in our world. When Christians respond to the storms of life in faith and with faithfulness, it is an opportunity for the testimony of Christ to advance. I attended a funeral not long ago. It was a great celebration, but one of the things that we celebrated in that funeral just stuck with me. The man had been in the hospital for a long time, his body was ravaged by disease. His pain was great. But he faced that storm with courage and faith and peace, deeply aware that Christ was with him and deeply aware that in Christ's timing, he would bring the storm to an end. And his posture of faith so impressed one of his nurses 
that ultimately he got to share the gospel with that nurse and ultimately lead that nurse to faith in Christ. And the nurse got baptized in the hospital room where the man spent his last many months so that he could witness the baptism. I'm telling you, in the storms of life, we have a unique opportunity to testify to the identity of Jesus Christ, and we will be uniquely heard. And this is just true all throughout history. Big storms or little storms create an opportunity for the church to testify about Jesus. I've told you before about my favorite ancient letter from a Roman emperor to a Roman priest. This guy named Julian the Apostate wrote it. And he was lamenting the rise of Christianity and how nobody went to the pagan temples anymore. And he talks about how it's not our worship, our worship is great, it's not our, our speeches, our speeches are great. He says the problem is we can't compete with how they love people who are going through the storms of life. He says look at how they care for their own children and the children of others. Look at how they care for their own poor and for strangers who are poor. Look how they take care of refugees and foreigners and babies and the elderly. How can we compete with that? He says, look how they feed those who are starving. What are we going to do? How the church faced the storms of the second century Roman Empire was their most powerful witness to the identity of Jesus Christ. And this is still true today. When the storms of life hits, the church is meant to be, and usually is, the first to show up and the last to leave. It's true globally. We send water and blankets and resources to natural disasters all across the globe. It's true locally. We send casseroles and cards. We sit in hospital rooms. We visit the heartbroken, and our witness is the clearest while the storm rages. I think about the refugee crisis that is in our world. It's just crazy right now. And Christians are at the front line of ministering to refugees and welcoming them into safe places. I think about coronavirus. Listen, I don't know how bad it's going to be. You probably don't either. But here's what I know. When it hits, the church will not panic. We will serve and love and care and feed and tend to the wounded care for our own sick and others who are sick because this is what the church does in the middle of a storm. The storm gives us a chance to bear witness to Jesus and his presence and his power. And I want you to know a little bit of good news. This, is, this exact thing is happening in Nashville, Tennessee uh, right now. Uh, you need to know what the Alive Church is doing in Nashville right now. This is a sister church of ours. We actually helped start this church. Uh, last year, we partnered with four other churches. We all pitched in some funds uh, from our Christmas offering, and uh, well, along with a few other churches, and those funds were the startup funds that launched this church. Actually, it's, it's, uh, the, the plan is that money is their budget for the first three years, and we, we supplied that so that they could get launching. And they worship, they have been worshiping anyway, at the YMCA in East Nashville. Well, it turns out that building is the very center of the destruction in East Nashville. They heard from the engineers just this week, it's a total loss. The whole thing's going to have to be torn down. But I am so proud of this little young church because they knew that this storm 
that Jesus was with them in the storm and that it was a chance for them to proclaim the gospel with clarity. That very next morning, they woke up. The first thing they did was arrange to bring in a bunch of hot meals to feed lunch to the volunteers that were there cleaning up. Then they started prayer teams going, praying with people there on the streets who were just kind of reeling with grief at the destruction all around them. After they got a system for how to feed and care for the physical and spiritual needs of the people around them, well, the next thing they did was they figured out how they were going to keep worshiping. And today, probably right now while I'm preaching this, uh, they're setting up in a parking lot in 40-degree weather. They're going to have an outdoor worship service because they couldn't find a building stable enough to worship in this morning. But the worship of God is going to continue because Christ is going to be proclaimed in the middle of the storm. And the third thing they got to figure out is how do they keep both those things going? How do they keep serving their neighbors? And how do they keep worshiping God? I asked uh, Brandon Jacobs, their minister, to send us a little video update of how they're doing. Here's what he sent me. Hey guys, it's Brandon with Alive Nashville here, standing in ground zero of where the tornado hit East Nashville and other parts of Tennessee. That's our building where our church was meeting uh, behind me now. And you can see I'm standing in in the middle of five points. I don't know what all you can see. Uh, sorry, I'm spinning around real fast here. There's a lot going on. Uh, I know a lot of people have been asking about how they can help. What we've learned is a lot of these relief organizations are going to be bouncing out of here in a few days, and we're going to have, we're going to see a lot of new needs pop up. Uh, you know, we got water bottles, we got supplies. A lot of you guys have given that. A lot of people have that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But we know there's going to be some medium-term needs. Um, we're trying to meet those needs right here on the ground uh, in any way we can as they pop up. Um, so we're trying to raise some funds uh, to be able to say yes to whatever those needs are. Man, if you can if you can donate to that on our website at alivenashville.com, just help us raise some funds for that, um, so that we can be here for these people. Uh, also, if you hear of any needs, anyone, 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 email info at alivenashville.com, and we're gonna respond right away. I love you guys. Thank you. I love you. I love this guy. I love his heart. I love how their little church has been focusing on loving and serving East Nashville. Uh, but here's the truth: you gotta know, okay? For their ministry to continue, they are going to need our help. This situation is exactly like when the famine hit Jerusalem and the church in Antioch sent them a whole bunch of money so that they could buy food and their church didn't starve and their ministry could continue. Uh, this little church is feeding first responders and volunteer crews every single day in the name of Jesus and their budget is wiped out. Uh, they, they made it in to their, some of the engineers let them into the building, even though it's been condemned so they could look through and salvage stuff. He said the good news is their children's ministry, they were in the middle of a multi-week craft project, and all the crafts are saved. So that's the good news, is that the kids' crafts were saved. Uh, the bad news is basically everything else was destroyed. The sound system is a total loss. Their children's ministry equipment is a total loss. Their chairs are a total loss. Some of their signs, he said, were saved, but almost everything else was destroyed. Um, it's, it's true. They've got this radical benevolence ministry. He says every person they meet, he says they have a different need. One person lost their tools, and they're a construction worker, and they got to provide their own tools. Some of you know how that is. Another person lost uh, their desk, and they got to figure out where they're going to work. Another person lost their apartment, and they got housing for a month, but they don't have any of the stuff that was in their apartment, and they got to figure out how to replace that. So they got a benevolence ministry that is, is tapped out. They need urgent prayer that they can find a new meeting location. Uh, I can say I was on the management team. It took us a long time to find a location in East Nashville the first time, and now many of those locations have been destroyed. They need urgent prayer. Like I say, they're meeting outside, 40-degree weather today. God's going to be glorified, but that is not a long-term strategy for church growth, believe me. 
Uh, they're going to need funds to rent that location once they find it. And, they, and there's no way it'll be as cheap as the Y was. And they're going to need funds so they can continue their benevolence ministry. Um, there's no way a brand new small church can do what we do and kind of, we kind of care for each other's needs really effectively with our benevolence ministry. There's no way they can keep up with the kind of needs that are going to be coming their way from their community. You would be so proud of how this little church that we helped start is representing Jesus in the middle of the storm. And just as always happens, when the church shows up in a storm, Christ gets glorified. They got to witness to the mayor. They got to testify on television. They're getting to pray with first responders and volunteers in neighborhoods all over East Nashville. They've tracked down crisis counselors and brought them in to be at their worship services and other events to care for anyone who needs it. They are doing amazing ministry. But the honest truth is, the money that we and other churches gave that we thought was gonna last in two years because of this crisis and having to replace equipment and they're upgraded their service needs, it's not going to last them two years. Uh, they're looking at about seventy-five to $100,000 in unexpected costs, mainly in serving their neighborhood benevolence ministry, but also in replacing equipment, renting new space so they can continue to worship. Uh, and I just want to say, we have a church that we helped start that is making a huge difference in East Nashville. And if you're one of those people like me who you hear about the tornadoes and your first thought is, I wonder if there's something I can do to help. I really can't think of anything better we could do to help than to make sure this church thrives and meets the needs of its neighbors in the middle of this storm. Uh, you know, you give to this church, you know that every dollar you, will be, you give will be spent in East Nashville because the church is in East Nashville. They don't, that's all they do is, is, this, is this region of the city. Uh, we have a chance to make a huge difference right now. Uh, uh, another thing I'll say about this is you give to this church, nobody's ever going to know your name. Like you will never get praise for that. They'll know, they'll, two, two, two names will be glorified by the giving we do through this church. One, Alive Nashville. They'll hear about a little tiny church that's loving their neighbors. And the other is Jesus Christ because they'll know they're doing it in the name of Jesus. If this is something you want to do, uh, I want to make this as easy as I can for you. We may click an offering here. We may do some stuff institutionally, but the fastest way is to do it directly with this little church. You can go to their webpage, Alive Nashville. That's the church. That's super easy to remember. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your computer at home. It, I will say a lot of their ministry obviously has to happen right now. Doing it today would make a big difference if you're able. AliveNashville.com. Show them what the webpage looks like when they go there. It'll look like this. You just click Donate Now under Tornado Relief. You'll get to this page. It's a good, secure giving site. They use a similar product to what we use for online giving. It's very good. Up in the upper right corner where it says Give To, I don't think it works on our screen right now, but on your screen, you'll just click on that, and it'll drop down, and the thing right below it says Tornado Relief. You can give via credit card. You can use direct transfer from your bank if you're that kind of thing. Just to help know how it works, could somebody go back there and just type their credit card number in for us all to see, just so we can see how that, okay. No, maybe not, we won't do that, okay. Um, listen, I don't know how much we can do quickly, but I do know that they are in the middle of the ministry. They gotta figure out how to pay for food tomorrow. Uh, and you know, they can't spend money they don't have. If you're able to help, this makes a huge difference. Uh, here, I'll tell you the main thing I want the thing I've been praying for is I want this young leader and I want this young church focused on how they can care and minister to the people of Nashville. I don't want them worried about how they can pay for it. 
That's, that's what I want for them. I want them to just wake up and worry about loving the people in Nashville. What do they need? Where are they going to get food? How much food are they going to get? I don't want them worried about how they're going to pay for it. And so if we can help, this would be just one of the most biblical things we could do. Just what the Church of Antioch did for the Church of Jerusalem. It'd be great. The main thing, though, of course, I want you to learn isn't just a, a, a truth about this storm and how God will use this storm to proclaim the name of Jesus. I want you to learn something about every storm you ever face. I want you to learn that when we face storms, Jesus is with us. I want you to learn that though they often last, last longer than we hope, eventually Jesus will bring the storm to an end when all storms are brought to an end. And in the meantime, Christ is glorified and our testimony for Christ is made clear in the middle of the storm. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you that you are with us, with us in the storms. Give us the wisdom to see that when the storm stretches on, that is not your slowness but your patience so that more could be redeemed. Help us, God, to proclaim your testimony and your identity even in the storm. And we specifically, God, right now, we just do pray for East Nashville and we pray for the Alive Church and how your gospel is being advanced through their ministry in the middle of this storm right now. And if there's a part we could play, God, would you please allow us to do it? We'd just be honored to play a part in that. We give you all praise and glory for this and all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.